Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. There are often times in clinic where we look at a tooth that's so badly broken down, we think to ourselves, is this even restorable? And today's What I Wish I Knew, Dr. Erica Huynh and Dr. Michael Mandikos explore the nuances behind the difference between the restorability of a tooth and the survivability of a tooth. And what is involved in a post and core, or a deep margin elevation for that matter? Stay tuned to find out. That's again, it's it's something that, that we see quite a bit. You know, every month there'd be a referral that's basically along the lines of, do you think this tooth's restorable? If so, can you do it? Otherwise, can you help the patient, you know, with a replacement option? So and and you, you see trends, you see patterns in dentistry, and you see things sort of come around full circle. And we could have this discussion maybe 10 years back, and I'd probably be a bit more of a proponent of it, and that would be to say, well, you know, is that tooth restorable or should we be restoring just removing it, cutting our losses and replacing it with an implant? And now, we've, you know, we've had implants for a long time and more and more are being done, but it also means that we're seeing more and more of the problems that you can have with implants as well. And if we were to just start with the recognition of the fact that implant treatment was introduced as a treatment of last resort, it was introduced essentially as a means of giving back teeth to people that didn't have teeth. So these people are desperate and they want implants. It evolved into being able to replace single teeth and it sort of evolved further into being able to you know, replace almost anything. But it's not the same as a tooth and it really should be the treatment of last resort. So if you sort of start with that mindset, then we're looking at teeth and saying, well, can I save it? And I, I think probably in my practice, if I err one way, it's I, I err in trying to save too much. But I do believe that with materials that we have nowadays and the quality of our adhesives, uh, we can actually save just about everything. Um, and so then you start to just make the decision. And this is where I think you're really asking the question, if we can save it, you know, is it worth saving it? What are the factors? So if you're looking at saving a tooth, you're almost always talking about a tooth that's root treated or, or devitalized. So we know that when you do endo in a tooth, you weaken the tooth a little bit. If it's a very conservative endo, I think there's a paper that shows it's it's still about a 5% reduction in strength. So it's not much, but it's it's a little bit. But the more uh, access form and the more the canals are open, the more we're taking away tooth structure and ultimately that, that determines the strength of the tooth. And if we're trying to save a tooth, we're not just thinking about what technique is needed to restore it, we're thinking about what happens once it's restored and saved and free of decay and bacteria. Will it be functional? Can the patient chew on it or is it fragile? Is it like putting eggshells in their mouth? And so ultimately, in trying to make those decisions, if the tooth is root-treated, it's not the be-all and end-all. But if the tooth is root-treated and already has a post in it, then I get a little bit worried about how much tooth structure is gone because of the post, how much the post will, will vertically load the root and potentially cause a fracture of the root if it's, if it's a rigid post. If the tooth hasn't got the post yet and you look at the tooth and you know the only way to restore it is with a post, that means there's so much tooth structure gone, there's nothing else to retain the core. Again, you're looking at a fairly compromised tooth. So... Endodontically treated teeth historically in the literature don't do as well, but again, the treatments that were used historically were probably a bit more aggressive than we're tending to use now where we're really using adhesives. And if the tooth isn't non-vital and it's still got some vitality, but there's not much tooth structure left, 
And what I want you to picture now in your mind is an upper premolar with an MOD amalgam. And the patient comes in because the buccal cusp fell off, but the MOD amalgam is still sitting there. And the palatal cusp is still there, but it's thin. So you remove the amalgam and you can see a crack under the palatal cusp. So by the time you account for the palatal cusp, you've just got maybe two millimeters of tooth structure sticking up above the gingiva. And you're thinking, well, is that tooth restorable? And, and you know, some people say, well, of course it is. You, you do an elective endo and you put a post in it and you put a crown on it. And that's, that is what most of the old literature does. And the problem with that is that whilst that works, if the crown doesn't create a significant enough feral over the post, now we certainly have a situation where the post in function probably is going to lead to the failure of the tooth. And to contrast that with current technology, you know, we can bond a piece of porcelain onto that small core. And I think we can do that quite predictably. So when is a tooth savable and when isn't it? I think I start with the view that I want to save everything. So I'll look at it thinking, how could I save this? I'll start to temper my view if the tooth is root treated and then I'll temper it a little bit more if the tooth's root treated and already has endodontics in it and you can tell from an x-ray that you know the canal's been widened a lot. Subgingival bothers me a bit less than, than probably the structure removal of, of posts and cores. As dentists and dental students, we all have difficult days. You may experience workplace or training demands that have a direct impact on your physical, emotional, and psychological health and well-being. This is exactly what dental practitioner support is for. It's a completely confidential and independently run service that's funded by the Dental Board of Australia in an effort to support practitioners and dental students right across the country. Sometimes people call just at the end of a long day to debrief, but sometimes they call because there's more challenging things going on. Dental practitioner support is there for you in these times to give proactive advice, help you improve your health and well-being before there are major concerns. We all need a helping hand sometimes, and it's okay to ask for help. So if you find you need it, call 1-800-377-700 or visit the website dpsupport.org.au. They have loads of great information to get you started. dive into the subgingival component of it and then come back to the post because we had a listener that wanted to learn a little bit more about post but personally I've had a few situations where yeah the decay's gone subgingival and I wanted to pose the question of how far subgingival is too far subgingival <laughs> well, well so again yeah I, you probably notice that the more questions you ask me the more I I sound like I'm hedge yeah. hedging my bets and I'm not giving you absolutes. <laughs> and I think that's because, you know, because we deal with biology. So so I think you can have really good guidelines, but always remember that they're guidelines and that they're not absolutes. Everyone's yeah. Absolutely. So let's start with um, the bigger picture, really deep. Is it too deep because it's too subgingival? So the big picture is, if I can use the word, this, this tooth stuffed. There's a lot of tooth structure gone if it's that deep. So then you go back to the previous thing you asked me, is it restorable? Well, it's restorable, but when we're judging whether or not a tooth is restorable, we're judging, can we fix it? And is it predictable to function with afterwards? So let's go back to the first question. It's so subgingival. I'm telling you, that means the tooth's stuffed. So we could take the tooth out and replace it, or if we choose to restore it, then we're kind of throwing every technique or material we have at it to try to make it work. So I discuss it with the patient and I say, what's your expectation? I, I can save your tooth. 
And I'll tell you how I'm going to do it in a moment. But I guess it's hard for me to tell you that that tooth's as strong as all the other teeth in your head. So it could mean that in the next six to 12 months, in the worst case, you're chewing and something breaks and you know we're all disappointed because we put all this effort into it. Alternatively, 10 years down the track, I'll be seeing you and checking and saying, wow, can't believe that tooth's still there. And you're saying, yeah, yeah, I'm really glad I kept it. So, you know, we're going to potentially be somewhere between those two because there's, because this is so subgingival. In other words, there's so much tooth structure gone. Can you live with that? Or do you need the predictability of, you know, some titanium and porcelain there? <laughs> you know, that, that, that's essentially the discussion. And some people respond with, you know, every time I take a chance, it never seems to work for me, you know, take it out. Other people sit there, oh, I will do anything, Michael, to keep that tooth. You know, and, and so the patient makes the call for you, not you. So then can you restore it subgingively? I think if it's that subgingival, you've got good grounds to try some kind of open sandwich technique where you isolate with a matrix band, you know, you force it down there, you've got some bleeding, you control it with the pressure of the band and basically you bond a GIC to that deep dentine and you bring the GIC above the gingival level and then you restore the rest of the tooth with a composite. I think that's that's a good treatment. Now, there's a negative with the longevity of those GICs in that application. You know, probably eight to ten years, they start washing out. You might get caries down there, whether or not the fluoride release is helping. But you just gave that tooth ten years; it wouldn't have had. The alternative is you could go down there with uh, careful bonding, deep margin elevation. And again, if you if you can do that, if your skill set allows you and you can isolate well, it's a great thing to do. It's arguable that it'll last longer. Depends how deep you're talking, doesn't it? Because the further down we go, the worse the bond to the dentine, to the root dentine. But if you've got the skill to do it and you've got the ability to do it and get the isolation, then it's probably better than the open sandwich. But if you try to do it and it's no good, the open sandwich would have lasted eight to 10 years, but this leaking composite that you put down there <laughs> fails from day one. So you've got to balance up those couple of things. So yeah, ultimately, I don't think that too deep is too deep. It's just being able to give the patient some expectation and balancing it with your clinical skills to do the procedure. Yeah, absolutely. I think it comes to that if you look at it in that way, then you can give it a go saving any tooth, but it's just how long that lasts and whether that lines up with what the patient's expectations exactly. are. Exactly. You have to remember it's their choice to keep or remove the tooth, not yours. And if they make that choice, the consequence hinges on them, not on you. Yeah. I, what I think of in particular when we're talking about this is because I had a patient the other day and she had a PFM crown on her two, three, and there was caries underneath it. And we removed the PFM and realized that the decay was quite subgingival. And I did this and we actually had access to a CEREC. And it was the first time we were using it in the clinic. This was when I was on placement and my tutor was like, let's give it a go. Let's try using it. And we told the patient about it and she was fully on board. We're like, look, there's a good chance that this might not work that you know you might lose the tooth we might need to add it onto your denture but like what are your thoughts and she was very much on board of like I understand it I want to give it a go anyway and it was a very compromised situation and that's why I asked you like how far subgingival is too, too subgingival because <laughs> yeah it was looking a little bit like that whether you're a new grad or an experienced clinician there comes a point where our passion wanes and we lack direction and motivation for our profession at some point, we all need a little bit of inspiration, something that helps take us to the next level. Presenting the Dental Summit 2023. 
two whole days of incredible lectures from Australia's greatest CPD providers held at the Shangri-La Hotel in Sydney, followed by a cocktail night to remember so you can make those connections and network with like-minded dentists. So, in 2023, invest in yourself. Visit the webpage www.tds23.com to purchase tickets for September 1st and 2nd. And you can use our discount code DHS10 to get 10% off your ticket purchase. You mentioned before about deep margin elevation. Could you talk me a little bit through what that means? Yeah, so deep margin elevation have been popularised more recently by Pascal Magne. Before that, it was written in papers by Didier Dici, Roberto Sprefico, you know, the, the University of Geneva. And the concept is to recognize that it's, it's basically a, a principle applied to indirect restorations normally. So like the, the two, three you were just talking about. And to sort of say, if I made a crown, how could I possibly get that crown margin all the way down to the bottom of this deep preparation, let alone make an impression down there, but also to be able to then bond. So the principle is to, to isolate that deep area first with the matrix band and you know, anything you can throw at it, and then etch prime and bond some composite there to bring the level of that composite filling to a super gingival position. Then conceptually you just treat that composite as if it's part of the tooth and now you prepare the tooth like you would for your normal margins and when you come to the composite you prepare across the composite as if it was tooth structure and so now your crown sits on tooth everywhere except where it was deep and there there's a definitive deliberate composite that's been placed and you've just put your crown over the top of it with a with a normal margin design so deep margin elevation, you're taking the margin from this deep position and bringing it up to a super gingival position by putting in a little filling. Yeah, and that's very much, I guess, what we did in this situation. Right, well, that's and good I to guess... hear. You didn't push the CEREC material <laughs> all the way down there. That no, would have been hard to we do. We didn't. Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely, but I guess that's what we were doing and I wanted to talk you through it is, yeah, we put the composite there and then we ended our crown margin at that most deep portion on composite. And I wanted to ask you, is that okay? Like, are we okay ending a crown margin on composite? Yeah, I mean, I think as a, as a general rule, you don't set out to do it. But when you do it and it's your own composite and you know the history and you know whether that composite's well bonded in, then, then I think that you have less concern. And, you know, at the extreme, you can just think of that composite as a really thick cement layer. If you were using composite resin cement, it still has to attach to the tooth. So it's almost call it just as a, as a totality for the restoration you just like to finish the restoration on tooth structure and just have one interface mm -hmm. and i guess yeah still going on that whole subgingival thought process when we talk about like crown lengthening or even in just the hands of just the general dentist if you have some gingiva that is like overgrowing and it's in the way how much of it can we remove would you say, or do you have any thoughts? Yeah. So, so take that crown lengthening term, make sure we use it correctly. So generally speaking, if we think crown lengthening, we're thinking of surgical crown lengthening for the purposes of relocating that tissue. And so you, again, you sort of think of that mostly in an anterior application and you relocate the tissue by removing bone and tissue. You establish a new crown margin and then you put a crown in. When we're getting around a restoration like you're talking about now, it's more in the realms of gingivectomy where you're just removing soft tissue and you're doing it for prosthetic convenience and you're sort of expecting rebound. So how much of it can you take away? Well, 
you know, it's it's tricky. You take away everything you need to to get access. It'll grow back, but you've now put a restorative material down into a zone that was probably epithelial attachment and connective tissue attachment, which which is another way of saying you probably put your restoration into the biologic width. So how the body responds to that will depend on that patient. So you'll either get some pocketing, and that that pocketing you know may, may be chronically inflamed, particularly if the pocket just stays as a pocket forever because you've invaded the biologic width. So there'll always be a bit of bleeding, but you manage to seal the tooth where the deep caries was or where the you know the the problem was. And posteriorly, again, I'm not suggesting that that's ideal, but you just accept it. You say, well, that's that's how it is. No one sees it. The patient flosses, and every time they floss that spot, it bleeds a bit. If the patient has a thinner biotype or if there's a potential for them to sort of resolve the problem, it starts as pocketing, and then bit by bit they have bony remodeling, and then the gingiva shrinks with the bone, and then you end up with sort of a, an open embrasure. You end up with a, we'll call it a black triangle posteriorly, but healthy tissue because the body's just, essentially receding away from the your invasion of the biologic width so again remember what we said before that tooth must have been a bit stuffed <laughs> if the if the decay or the defect was that deep that you had to you know really get in and violate the biologic width but that that's essentially what's happening so your question was how much tissue you take away well if you're trying to save the tooth you might have to take away everything you need to to be able to see and restore what you have to restore Thank you for going through that. I want to wrap it back to before when we were talking about posts, Dr. Mandikos, and this is a question that came in from a, one of our listeners, is just when and in what situations do we use them? And I know there's the textbook answer of, you know, to retain your core. How do you talk typically? Yeah, so, so keep that textbook answer in mind. So you're going to use a post when you need to retain a core. If there's no other way to retain a core, then, then the post is, is what you need. But there are so many other ways to retain a core. You need a little bit of tooth structure, you know, and I was hinting before two mils of tooth structure, you can stick to it. There's the outline and morphology of the old, you know, amalgam or composite that was in the tooth. There might be a mesial or distal box form. There might be some old undercuts. Uh, and then there's the quality of the adhesion that we have now. So we use, you know, the best, the best possible adhesive. We'll get our best bond strength still from what we call a fourth generation system, an etch prime and bond system. And you couple that with, with air abrasion, so sandblasting the dentine. We can really improve the bond strength to the tooth. Good isolation, apply the adhesive and, and a couple of millimetres of tooth structure. The additional undercuts or surface area of old bits of old restoration, so little, little grooves or, or boxes that were there. And suddenly you can retain a core. If you have an endodontically treated tooth, um, you can engage some of the pulp chamber with the composite as well as all of the things we just spoke about and you can retain the core. If you're looking at a tooth that's completely shattered off, <laughs> you know, a central incisor that is level with the gingiva, it's probably unlikely that you can retain a core with any of the things I've just discussed, so now you need a post. So now we have to just kind of keep in mind, use that phrase, that tooth is stuffed. And if, if it's reached that point, then you're just trying to get more life out of a tooth that's really not in very good condition. So... When, you know, when would I use posts and cores, or posts really is the question, very, very seldomly now. And if I am, again, it's with the realisation that the tooth's you know, right on the edge and, and this is just one heroic attempt to try to get some more life out of it. Yeah, it's kind of your last resort it after is. you've thrown every, Absolutely. everything it's the last else resort. at it. Yeah. yeah, not a routine. That's, that's, yeah, that's probably a nice phrase, last resort, not, <laughs> not a routine. Not a routine. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.